If you're ready for the Word, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Malachi, chapter 3. I didn't ask, I always ask. Who's ready for the Word today? Some of you guys are like, he's not asking, he's going to ask. Malachi, chapter 3. I'm going to begin by reading the verses that we started in last week. Um, and then we'll continue to pick up from where we left off. So Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. For I am the Lord, and I do not change. Don't you love how he starts this whole thing off like that? For I am the Lord, and I do not change. You know what that means? It means he doesn't change. It's profound, huh? Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house." Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts." Can we pray together one more time? Father, in Jesus' name, prepare our hearts to hear your heart. Today, God, we ask you to speak very clearly to us. We ask that you would minister to us and that you would help us to see the ways that you're directing us to live in this area according to your economy, God. We want you to just speak to us in a way that empowers us to be able to live out these ordinances and these precepts in faith. I ask that you would anoint me, God, to preach your word today. Help me to just be your vessel and, and allow me to speak in a way that communicates clearly what it is that you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And everybody said, amen. I was kind of trying to get a pulse on this last service, you know, like, where's the energy level at here? That's what I'm talking about. Was that Sandy? All right. That's what I'm talking about. So we opened up this message series, The Blessed Life, and I opened up by sharing with you that my heart, my burden, really burden, and I do mean that, is to help us, the church, the body of Christ, to be able to live in the full supply and blessing of God's provision that he makes supernaturally available to his children who walk according to his ordinances. And so when we look at this study and this message, we're coming to this and saying, God, we want to know, like all things, really, what you have to say about this matter. Because once God speaks clearly about a matter, it settles it. If, as believers, 
we subscribe to the fact that God's word is the ultimate authority. Are you with me? So our heart really is to understand God's word because when we, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when we hear his word and God speaks to us by the person of the Holy Spirit, the inward witness quickening in us, right? It produces faith for us to be able to live according to faith off of the foundation of that truth that he's revealed to us which brings power into our lives. And that's why the Bible says we're to live by faith and not by sight. Because here's what you'll understand, is that God's ways are different than the world's ways. And when we decide that we're going to live according to God's ways, we have to realize that there are many times when we understand His ways and it actually does not make sense to the rational, natural mind. The Bible says that the, the things of the Spirit cannot be discerned by the natural man. So if we make decisions based on worldly wisdom and logic, then it will prevent us from being able to step over and cross that chasm into the place of the supernatural life. Because the supernatural life is lived by faith and not by sight, according to the unseen realm and God's ways, which were higher than the world's ways. And so we approach this study under that precept of God, speak to us, show us what you say so that we can begin to live according to your economy and not the world's. And there is a supernatural kind of provision and supply that God wants to release into the lives of his children so that they can live according to that supply and not according to the supply of the natural world that our hands might artificially be able to manufacture. And that's what he's inviting us into. In order to do that, we have to obey and walk according to the precepts, conditions, if you will, that God lays forth around these truths and around these promises. And that's really what we're endeavoring to do is dig into all of that through the course of these number of weeks. And so in Malachi chapter 3, we read these verses, these six verses, and we show how there are a lot of truths that come out of just these few verses that are fully supported and backed up all throughout the rest of Scripture. I've been very intentional about laboring to give you as many verses throughout the whole Bible as I can so as to show you this is not strictly a contextual thing, that this is a pattern and a principle that exists all throughout God's Word. And so hopefully that, that's helping you. But really a lot of this that we're talking about is beginning from these verses because they're some of the most clear. And I would say it is clear and there is clarity around this because it's a very important matter to God that we would put Him first in the area of our provision and that we would trust Him fully because he's trustworthy in this area. He, he wants to be first in our heart. And so it's not so much a money matter as it is a heart matter. Money just haps, happens to be a subject at hand around it. But really, if you want to look at the greater picture, it's all about the heart. And we're, obviously we know where our heart is, our treasure is, right? And so God is after the heart. And how we place him in this area of our lives reflects our heart and our trust in him. So in last week, we talked about, uh, I said there was going to give you five points that come out of these verses. And I, I went through the first two. 
So I'm not going to summarize for the sake of time today, although part of me really wants to. But I'm going to encourage you to just go back and listen to the message, part one. Um, you can do that through podcast, the app, online, Facebook, whatever's easiest for you. Um, so number one was that there is a test. That was the first point. Number two was that there is a warning. Okay, these are all things that are right there in these six verses of Malachi that are fully supported in other parts of the Bible. So we covered those last week. That's where you need to go and listen to that message if you missed it. Number three, which is where we're going to begin today, is that there is instruction. There is instruction. Now, I labeled this point instruction because these are areas where you, you normally hear a lot of the same questions when people are wanting to understand tithing. You do. You normally hear a lot of the same questions or a lot of the same points. And when people are genuinely struggling with this thing, God's working on them, it's a very healthy process so long as the heart remains yielded to what God wants to do and say. And so these areas that you hear a lot of people have questions about, I think that God makes unequivocally clear in Scripture. Okay, and so the first point under this subheading of there is instruction is that the tithe is expected from all increase. From all increase. Meaning any increase that flows into our hands as a, a, a wage or an increase from labor of any kind, that that increase is subject to the tithe. All right, so listen to these verses. Leviticus 27.30. All of the tithe of the land, whether it's the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, all is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. 2 Chronicles 31.5. As soon as the commandment was circulated, which was the commandment to bring the tithes to the storehouse, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, and honey, and all of the produce of the field, and they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. So sometimes people will ask questions like, well, I get paid, you know, I get a bonus at the end of the year. Or I do a side business and I freelance and so I have like a side job and side income. How does, how does God view that? And for me, it just all falls under this same truth that all increase is subject to the tithe. No matter how it comes, no matter what means, by subjecting it to the tithe, you're, you're saying, God, I, I trust that you're the provider of this. Like, you're the one who brought this to me. You gave me the gift to do it. You gave me the skill. You gave me life and breath in my lungs to live a day, to be able to do that work, to bring that income in. I'm just fully laying the thing down, and I'm trusting you entirely in that area. And so we just say anything that comes that's increased, you see here in these verses, it didn't matter if it was oil, herbs, spices, crops, livestock. It, it didn't matter it, if it was increase the Lord would receive a tithe off of that. And that was them saying, God, you're first and you're first in everything, not just some things. You know? And so that's, that's very important 
that we see that because that settles some of those matters in our mind. Like, okay, if, if this comes in from this direction or if that direction, what does that mean? I think you just put everything under the category, all increase, right? If the Lord brings it to you. Um, now, the next part of that, there is instruction, is that the tithe is the first tenth. It's the first tenth. By definition, that's what it means, okay? It's the first, it's the best. It's the first tenth, the way God lays it out. So what that means is, it's not, it's not the last tenth. It's not the middle tenth. It's, it's actually holy, and it's set apart. If we believe this, then what we're saying is that we believe God says it's sacred, it's holy, it's set apart only for Him. And, and for no other reason. So the first tenth that comes in is the tenth that goes to God. So here, here, here's another question that I get a lot. Um, do you tithe off the gross or off of the net? Okay. Again, falls under the same principle that God gets the first. So if you tithe off the net, then you're giving God the tithe after the government got their taxes. I'm just kind of getting practical with you for a second. But if we want to be real about it, I think we got to examine this because this is one of the most common questions you get. So the gross is the, is the increase. It's the whole portion. It's the full amount that comes in. And we're saying God gets the first tenth and then government gets the next tenth. Right? Even though that's painful to do too. But I mean, regardless, we obey the ordinances of our land and we submit to governing authorities. So, I mean, that's an area that we need to be truthful and honest in too, of course. We're talking about the tithe right now. And so by doing the first tenth, th this, is, this is what happens, okay? We, we establish ownership. Who owns it? Now, this may be something that you wrestle with, so I'm, I'm understanding of that. I'm just I'm trying to give you something to pray and meditate on. But we have to settle the issue of ownership, I think, before tithing really becomes alive in us. Because when we give the first tenth to God, what we're saying is that he actually owns it all. And I'm, I'm simply returning the first tenth to him that is already his, and he's letting me keep the other 90%. Does that make sense? It's different than the mentality that says, I'm going to give God some of mine. Okay, that's, it's a big difference. If we're giving God some of ours, like, how much do you give? You know, like, what do you want? But if, if we're returning what's already his, that he owns, then it kind of just establishes the issue of ownership. And then it begins to produce a faith and a trust. Again, I said this last week, God's intention is to prosper us. His intention is to bless us and to help us live the supernatural life. And so we're, we're begin to move into a place of trust saying, God, I just trust that you can do more with that 90% than I could ever do with the 100%. And, and we believe that, and we see that again and again. So the tithe is the first tenth. And it's not, we're not given the, the option of touching it for ourselves or for other things. We're, we're not given that option. Listen to this in Deuteronomy 26, verses 13 through 15. You shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house and have also given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments. Now listen to this. Nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten of it when in mourning, nor have I removed it for any unclean use, 
nor given any of it over for the dead, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. So he's saying, don't touch it. Don't touch it for yourself, for anything. It's, it's not for you to take if we believe this concept, okay? So what the people did not do when they would bring in the first fruits of their harvest, the tithe, is they did not go park it in a grain silo and use it as an emergency backup if they needed it. You understand? It never had a parking station. It went straight to the storehouse and was presented as the tithe and the offering. So if, if that tithe goes somewhere and sits there and it's a backup plan and we think I'll tithe off of that once I see I can afford to once I see there's enough then listen somewhere along the line the revelation of tithing has not fully been grasped because it's that's not the way that we are given the option to be able to tithe is to put it somewhere and use it for our backup use or tap into it if we need it and then when we feel like we don't then we can turn around and give it to God then it's not the first. It's somewhere down the line after first, okay? And so that's just, it's gotta be the first tenth of the increase. Um, so the, there is instruction is number three. Number four, there is a location. There is a location. Put verse 10 back up there if you would, please. And we will see what the location is. Bring all of the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. What's, his, what's God's house? I mean, it's my, capital M. What's God's house? It's a house of worship. It's a place where he abides, right? The storehouse was the temple treasury. And the tithe, and this is also instructed in Leviticus where they established it, was brought to the temple and given to the priest to put in the temple treasury and oversee and that's, that was the process. That was the way that they did it. So a lot of times you hear people say um, a comments or opinions or maybe they have a question about this. Like, I think that there's, I think there's different ways to pay your tithes. I think there's different ways that you can do that. And respectfully, I say this respectfully because I know sometimes it's just an honest opinion, that that is theologically incorrect. And it's ungrounded in scripture. There's not other ways to pay your tithe. There's one way to do that. And it's very clear as far as the instruction of how that goes. So when you say the storehouse so that there may be food in my house, he's not just talking about like Subway sandwiches, you know, so we all got lunch tomorrow. He's talking about spiritual food. The house of God is the place that spiritual food is provided, where people are raised up to become who God's created them to be. The gospel is preached. Missions are, are funded. People are sent into uh, foreign places where the gospel has not been heard. Souls are won. And the equipping of the saints to raise up for the work of ministry happens in the house of the Lord. It's in the, the local church. So the, the storehouse, my house, like he says, is, is in the temple. And a lot of times people will be giving to a lot of other causes, right? They'll give to a charity, they'll give to all these things and, and all this other stuff, which is great. And I'm going to talk about why that's important in a second. But when, when people are doing that, listen, I'm just trying to just be like clear. That's, that's giving and that's being generous. It's not tithing. By definition, that's not tithing. Tithing is taking it the first tenth and only the first and taking it right into the storehouse. That's tithing. So beyond the tithe is where we begin to see the concept of offerings, the surplus, 
the abundance. That's why God brings overflow, so that there's surplus beyond our own needs being met, so that we can minister, so that we can sow seeds, so that we can give out of the overflow that's coming from the open window of heaven that God's bringing in our lives. Now, here's the interesting thing, is that number five is there is a promise, right? And one of the, there's actually three, there's actually three promises here. And one of those in those verses is that God would open the windows of heaven. So try to think about this in the terms of, he's saying, if you walk in covenant in the tithe, your heart is right in this thing, then I will open up the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so much that you can't contain it. Now, in another translation, it says, I will release the floodgates. And then there's a picture when you study that of water being released in such force and pressure that anything that tries to stop it, like a dam backing it up, would just crack and break and explode from the pressure and the water would just continue to spread everywhere. He's saying, that's the way I'm gonna bless you if you walk in covenant with me in the tithe. That's the promise for the tithe. But here's the thing. God also promises rewards for generosity. Did you hear me? He also promises rewards for generosity, and they're different. So sometimes people can be living out of rewards of generosity, can be living from God supplying things or replenishing things that were given out of generosity, but it's different than the blessing of the tithe. The fullness of what God has for you, for us, is the blessing of the tithe and the blessings of the fruit of generosity. That's the fullness of what God wants. So let me show you. In Proverbs chapter 11, 25, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So you see this language consistently when he talks about generosity, whereas we give, it's given back to us, right? We're giving and God's bringing it back. He's rewarding Proverbs 19, 17. He who has pity on the poor lends to the poor and he will pay back what he has given. He being God will pay back. Matthew 10, 42. Whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water, meaning the needy, those in need, in this case it was children, but those who are in need. Whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. And then Luke 6, 38 Give, and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. So I want you to see that there is extravagance here in this twofold part of God's promises. There's a reward of generosity, but there's also the covenant of God with the tithe opening up the windows of heaven. And this is where he says literally that it'll be so much you could never contain it. The blessings of generosity continue to replenish and restore what we're lending. It says in another place, when we lend to the poor, we lend to the Lord and he repays. You see that? So there can be a little, sometimes people can be giving and seeing fruits of generosity, but I would just say there's a greater fulfillment of this promise. There is a greater level of supernatural supply that far exceeds whatever anyone would be experiencing if they're strictly living according to fruits of generosity. Is this making sense to anybody? So, um, so let me say one last thing about the windows of heaven. When it's open, um, it's incredible. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, we see this situation where the people were experiencing such abundance 
because they were faithfully bringing the tithe off of the whole land, off of everything, that God just continued to bring this increase. And, and, and listen to the reaction that the priests had as they were bringing all these tithes into the storehouse. Second Chronicles 31, uh, let's go to verse 6. This is, The children of Israel and Judah uh, who dwelt in the cities of Judah brought the tithe of oxen, sheep, also the tithe of holy things which were consecrated to the Lord their God. They laid it in heaps. So they're just, they're bringing this like, it's like it just keeps coming in and just keeps coming in. In the third month, they began laying heaps, they began laying them in heaps and they finished in the seventh month. And when Hezekiah and the leaders, so Hezekiah was the king, when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, so they looked at all the resources in the temple, right? When they saw the heaps, um, Hezekiah, there you go. Saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people, Israel. And then Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the, the heaps. And then Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offering into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have plenty, for the Lord has blessed his people, and what's left is this great abundance. It was just exploding. It was just coming out everywhere, and it, they couldn't keep it back. Do you understand? Like, it couldn't be held back because they were doing what God had called them to do and living in faith according to that, and they were giving and being generous from the surplus and the abundance that was overflowing out of that as well. That's the way God's called us to live. It's no different. I do not change. Remember? This is, it just may look differently in your context today than it looked when tithing off of oxen and cattle and oil and spices was how they did it. But it's the same principle and it's the same concept. If we want to live under an open heaven, a window that's open with God's supernatural abundance pouring out, then we have to trust him in this area of the tithe. And this is what's great. He will do what he says he's going to do because he always does. He is faithful. He will do exactly what he says that he's going to do. In fact, I think, again, that's why he says, try me. Test me in this thing. Do what I'm telling you to do and see if I don't do what I tell you I'm going to do. And when he steps in and does what he can do, baby, it just blesses the socks off of everything beyond what any natural hand or man can, can do with that. And that's where we want to live, where there's an abundance. There ought to be an abundance of resources flowing through the body of Christ at all times for all of the work that God is wanting to do in the world in any given generation. There should be abundance if we're living according to these precepts that God's laid out. So the, the first part of the promise was that there is an open, uh, God will open up the windows of heaven. Second part of the promise is that he says he will rebuke the devourer. He will rebuke the devourer for our sakes. Now, in this time, the devourer was commonly known as locusts. Okay, locusts were a swarm of bugs that would come through. And when it was a locust season or locusts came into the land, they consumed everything. They devoured everything, meaning whatever they touched, whenever they came in, there was nothing left. All right, let me ask you a question. Who steal, whose message, mission is to steal, kill, and destroy? Satan, right? The devourers would come through and they would devour what God already began to bring in early form as blessing. They'd already seen it with the natural eye. It was already out there. It's coming. They just haven't harvested it yet. 
and put it to use for what God was wanting them to do. So here's what the enemy wants to do. When he sees God begin to bring blessing into your hand and sees provision, sees blessing, sees resources coming, he says, I want to stop that before it gets put to kingdom work. I want to stop that before they're able to actually use that to advance God's kingdom and his will. So we see the, breath, the blessing and the provision come. It's starting to come, but then the enemy just, just drains it. He just consumes it. He just devours it. And then all of a sudden, what was there is no longer there. God says, if you, if you walk in covenant and in tithe, here's what I'm promising. I'll rebuke the devourer. I will prevent him from coming in and doing that. And so it's literally like God stands in the gap between us and the devourers with his hand out and says, no, you cannot have access to that. I'm, I'm protecting that. He's trying to take it. And God will not allow him to touch, to rob, to drain, because he wants to devour every last bit of it, leave nothing left over. And God says, no, you can't have any of that. Listen, that promise is only when we walk according to the tithe. When covenant, it's, it's right there. He says, when you do that, then this is part of the promise. I rebuke the devourer. I think sometimes I wish that we could just have the veil drop, you know, and we could actually see into the unseen realm. And we could really see the spiritual realm and how real it actually is. Because I think what we would realize is for those of us who do walk according to this precept, that God is literally standing the way of the forces of hell, trying to rob and plunder those things that God is bringing as a supernatural source of supply into the lives of his children to advance his kingdom work. And that God is literally protecting. There's so many things I know, like I give God glory for the things that I have seen him do, but I try to often step back and say, God, I just wanna thank you for the things I'm not even seeing you do <laughs> because I'm very aware that there's a lot of things that the enemy wanted to tap, he wanted to grab onto and have access to and God just protected us and kept us shielded from that because this is who he says he is and this is what he says he'll do. She says, I'll rebuke the devourer. Now, let me just make one last point. This is just a little teaching. So devour locusts, right? When you study the Bible, there are times where there's a, a literal interpretation. In this case, there was, this was literal because there really were locusts. In Amos chapter four, locusts destroyed the harvest of the people of Israel because they went away from God. Another example of this. So there really were locusts that were devourers but they also represent demonic forces at work coming against us in our life to devour what God wants to do, wants to bring in and through us to advance his kingdom. In Revelation, the fifth angel sounds the fifth trumpet, and when he does, the pit of the abyss is opened up, smoke rises, and locusts come forth and begin to torment men on earth who do not have the seal, representing covenant, of God on their foreheads. And they begin to torment those men who don't have the seal. When we are in tithe, we are in covenant. There is a seal. And the devourer does not have access to those who carry the seal, who walk in the covenant. Does that make sense? Awesome. That was better than you guys gave that a hand clap for, I think. But anyway, whatever. All right. So there is uh, rebuke the devourer was the second promise. The, th the third promise and frankly, I'm, I'm just convinced, like, this is, what it's, this is what it's all about anyway. 
This is what it all leads up to. Verse 12, he says, when you do this, all of the nations will call you blessed and you will be a delightful land. You see, the extravagance of God is on display. And yes, we live in the privilege of that. We live in the blessing. And so there is a tremendous amount of joy to be found in all that. <clears throat> but really what God wants to bring extravagance for is so that we can minister from the overflow. So that we can go and do what God's calling us to do from the abundance that's coming out of what he's bringing because of that last verse right there, verse 12, so that the nations can call us blessed. You see, people in that time, the, the nations around Israel, that they went in and conquered to take the promised land, all the different regions, the, the Canaanites and Philistines, all these different people, time upon time upon time upon time again. Persia, Babylon, all these. Greece, Rome. They would look on God's people, and here's what they would say. Truly, the God of Israel is the true God. Because there was a testimony there. God promised this extravagance so that that would be a witness and a testimony to the nations around them that there is one true God. And he's inviting us into that same kind of relationship. I believe with all my heart that God's intention is that people would say, the God of John, the God of Tony, the God of Eliza, that's the true God. That's the true God. God wants to use this as a testimony to the nations of the world, the people around us to see. This is, this is God. This is the God they serve, and this is what he can do. So it comes down to this for me. And again, we're going to continue in this series for the next couple of weeks. I want to talk about the principle of first fruits. Pastor Mike's going to be talking about stewardship. I want to talk about the spirit of mammon and what that looks like and breaking the spirit of mammon in our life. Um, so there's some other things we need to plow some ground for. But ultimately, um, I think this is what it comes down to. You have to decide if you really believe this is what the Bible says. You have to decide. Is this what the Bible says? Is it really clear? Is this really what it says? That there's a covenant? It's the tithe? God doesn't change? It's here for today just like it was for then? There's a blessing? There's a promise? There's a warning? There's a test? Is this true? And if you do believe that, then frankly, folks, just like I am accountable and responsible for what I preach and what I teach, we are responsible and accountable for what we do with that. If that's really what God says, and that's really the truth according to his word, then my question is, do you trust him? Is he the ultimate authority? Does he have the final say? Because at the end of the day, opinions, beliefs, Anything ungrounded and unrooted in this book right here is vapor in the wind. That's the only thing that stands the test of time. And that's the only thing you can put your faith on. So I'm just challenging you. I'm encouraging you. Really pray. Really dig in. What is God speaking to you about this? Where it's tough, he knows that. 
He can handle that. You can be honest with him about that and allow him to lead you through this process. But there's gonna come a point where you're gonna have to choose if you're gonna step out and you're gonna trust him. Again, natural reasoning and logic will not make this make sense for you. It will have to be a faith thing. My promise to you is if you do, because of this written word right here, I can announce to you, you will live under the greatest supernatural supply, such peace, knowing you never have to worry because God is always the source of your provider and the windows of heaven will flow freely in your life. And that'll look differently for different people. You know, and it doesn't mean everybody's just gonna be a billionaire. It just means everybody's gonna have everything that they need if they walk according to these precepts to do what God's calling them to do. That's what it means. And I've seen it in my life since the day we started doing this and making this decision. I've said before, I, I gave my life to the Lord in 2002. And right after that, I got the revelation about tithing because my pastor preached unapologetically about it. And the Lord spoke to me personally about it and witnessed to me, this is truth. You could trust me. And we stepped out and we did that. And there's been times in my life, multiple times where I say, it's just because we're tithing. It's just because we're tithing that that came or that that happened or that we were protected in that way. The year we got married, the year we got married, I was, made, I was a business owner. I'm making very little money in the beginning. And we were planning a wedding and doing all this stuff. And it just, you know, it didn't add up. The numbers just didn't add up. And um, just, this was just a personal conviction. So I'm not laying this one on you. I'm just saying this was a conviction. The Lord spoke to us and said, just, why don't you just up your tithe? Whoa, okay, that's not logical. <laughs> up my tithe. So we started tithing 15% instead of 10%. Just like, I'm just going to show that I trust you, God, because we're already in over our heads anyway, so might as well be all the way over our heads, right? Don't do that if God doesn't tell you to do that, okay? But he did. He told us to do that. I made almost three times as much money. I was on 100% commission, almost three times as much money that year as I'd ever made in any year in my life prior to that working for a wage. Just exploded. It was just like, it was so significant that you couldn't help but see it and know this is the window of heaven opened over us. This is what this is. And, and I just have trusted God ever since, and he's, he's got my heart, so he's got the first place in this area of my life, just like he has with my marriage, my kids, any other thing. Um, that's what he wants. That's what he wants. He wants our heart. And if you put him there and trust him, he'll never disappoint you because here's what he says. I'll end with this. Revelation chapter 19. When the skies rip open and Jesus comes back on a white horse with eyes of fire and a sword shooting out of his mouth, king of kings right down his leg, it says he is the faithful and true. To know what it means that God is faithful is one of the greatest discoveries I've ever had in my walk with him. It means he will never operate contrary to to what he says he will do and who he is in his word. You put your faith on it and he will always remain faithful. He will do everything he says he's going to do. Do you trust that? Do you believe that? Will you test him in that? And will you walk with him that way? Hallelujah.